Welcome to the new episode of Entertainment Geekly, your guide to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and awesome. Uh, I'm Darren Franich, and with me as always, just calling in from his home this week, Entertainment Weekly's Jeff Jensen. Darren, how are you? Jeff, I'm doing great. Uh, we have so much to talk about today. But uh, for right now, Jeff, I, I, I want to just uh, dive in. Uh, we're lucky to have in studio, in, in our magnificent podcasting recording studio, at the top of Rockefeller Center, for all uh, our listeners know, we have former uh, EW colleague Sean Howe is, is in the building. Hi, guys. Sean, how's it going? Uh, Sean's here this week to talk a little bit about a new book that he wrote, a, a, a real-life book called Marvel a Comics. Real book? They still make those? They still make real books, Jeff. Can you believe it? On paper wow. and everything. Uh, the book is called Marvel Comics, The Untold Story. Uh, it just t- tells the complete history of Marvel Comics. I read it in literally a few days. Uh, Sean, uh, th- there's a lot to t- talk about with this book, but I guess can you just kind of describe what kind of made you interested in this story first? Sure. Uh, well, you know, I was a, a lifetime comic book fan. Uh, started started reading comic books when I was about four years old. And so it was in my blood. Um, the thing about Marvel Comics uh, that, that you guys both know is that there's such a um, there's such an infrastructure w- within within the actual comic books. There were always these letter columns where there was this kind of shadow narrative that was all about the guys who worked at at the company. And so when you're like a little kid, you're reading about you're reading about these people who are like a surrogate family almost. And so one of the things that I was most interested in this book was was. Is is this the kind of like behind the scenes story that that I've had had ideas about since I was like a little kid? With like, um, you know, S- Stanley always wrote about the the bullpen like it was um, like it, w- it was a elves workshop. Yeah, but a bunch of guys hanging out making comic books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The bullpen. The bullpen. The mighty. Yeah, Mar- I, I always the- want to know what the what, what the Marvel bullpen looked like. Oh, oh, Jeff! This 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 book will provide a harsh corrective to uh, whatever you're imagining. Um, yeah, well, well, Sean. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I guess like, that's the first thing. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, the book is split up into all the different eras, but you sort of start off with what seems to me this sort of incredible inception of some of like the great characters in, in the medium with Stan Lee and this sort of interesting invention of the bullpen, which never really existed, or at least didn't seem to exist to the same extent that he made it seem like it was. Right back. I mean, the the, the company was founded in the in the late 1930s, and and when when Stanley got there it was around 1941, and around that time there there was something like a bullpen. There there were a bunch of desks pushed together in big rooms, and there were guys who were just working through the day and and um, like maybe listening to the radio and and doodling and well that's sort of doing a disservice. They were <laughs> they were creating masterworks, and um, by the, but by the time by the time of like the the Marvel age of comics that we know, which is the early '60s, when the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and the Hulk and Iron Man and and the return of Captain America, um, by that time the company had fallen on some hard times, and it was really just like Stanley shoved into the corner of these magazine offices and freelancers who would come in and out. Yeah, I love uh, in the book you mentioned too that uh, I forget what sort of like greater corporation they were connected to, but I, I think like 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 Mario Puezo kept on like you know walking by there because he was working at one of the magazines or something like that. Yeah, Bruce J. Friedman uh, was, was was the magazine management was the not very creatively uh, titled company. <laughs> um, 
Patricia Highsmith uh, did did actually she may have been for the the comic books in the forties, but you know the author of the Ripley novels and and Strangers on a Train, um, uh, and Mario Puzo from uh, the the Godfather, uh, who Stan Lee loves to tell the story about how uh, uh, Puzo once asked if he could take a crack at writing the comic books and he came back like on a Monday and, and said this is this is too hard I can't <laughs> I can't do that that's the way Stan Lee tells the story. <laughs> well and it's interesting because I mean you know uh, you, you do kind of dive right into you know I, I think a lot of the big sort of topics with Marvel I mean there, there is a lot in this book about the kind of ongoing never-ending Stan Lee Jack Kirby who created what and everything but I think as someone who you know was always a fan of comics but maybe I, I had sort of a, a limited perspective, some of the most fun parts of the book, I thought, come when you move a little bit further into the 70s era. I mean, there's there's a great chapter in here that sort of talks a lot about Jim Starlin and Steve Englehart and that whole kind of next generation of writers. I mean, um, w- you yourself, like, like, what was kind of your basis with Marvel? I mean, when you when you were growing up, like, what what were you kind of reading? I was I was reading stuff that was sort of in the uh, the afterglow of of that great era. So I was um, I would say that eighty two, eighty three, eighty four were my my real like golden golden years. Which you know in retrospect, there's there's a lot of stuff that I was into that maybe doesn't hold up. But there were also things like um, you know Chris Claremont and Paul Smith on the X Men, Frank Miller on Daredevil, um, uh, Bill Sienkiewicz on New Mutants. Um, this is this is like a different language if 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 people weren't comic readers and they're listening to this but but those of you who who were reading it these are like resonating I bet absolutely well and uh, what I think is great too uh, about the book man is just you know uh, something that I I think it's very easy to overlook when it comes to comic books is that the people who work in comic books tend to have very almost kind of outlandish personalities at times I mean you know on one hand you sort of have people like Frank Miller or Steve Ditko who you know certainly comic book masters who in their later years take on somewhat controversial opinions on things but I think it's just it's interesting reading it just seeing you know it really was a collection of very creative people who all came together. And, you know, to circle back around to the 70s, my favorite part of the book is when I think it's Engelhart and Starlin are talking about how their workday was just kind of taking acid and wandering around New York. I mean, that that whole thing, I, I, I think, is something that's maybe sort of forgotten a little bit now that the Marvel characters have become so, you know, multimedia and, you know, right. f- outside of the Definitely. comic book mainstream. Um, what, what I, I had a question for you, which is, you know, Darren and I on this podcast talk a lot about the 80s era of comics and especially the uh, the big creative renaissance that, that, that we see in the, the, the 80s that's almost on par to some degree with, like, you know, the, the Marvel renaissance of the 60s, you know, when people like Alan Moore and Frank Miller and the, uh, come to the foreign mainstream comics and you have this really rich independent comics world that is bringing a lot of, like, alternative voices um, to our attention. Could you talk a little bit, though, about the era that precedes the 80s like how did the how did you know at, coming out of the the 60s comic revolution that marvel really drove what, what was the 70s like and how did that kind of set up what we saw happen in the 80s could could you talk a little bit about that yeah sure you know the, it's it's funny the um the things that happened to marvel in the in the early 70s were really similar to what happened with Hollywood in the late 60s and early 70s in terms of the gatekeepers kind of kind of uh, 
Im, not if, not embraced, but but th- they allowed these younger Turks to to kind of come in and take a shot because uh, the you know what happened after about 1966, there was a the Batman craze really brought a whole bunch of new publishers in, and and DC and Marvel both saw their their sales skyrocketing, but within a couple of years that went away and comic books were no longer really on everyone's mind as you know this pop culture zeitgeist thing and so by the early 70s you've you've got a an industry that's slightly in decline and you've got these guys for the first time you've you've got 20 somethings who are writing comics and drawing comics um uh at the first time since the 40s and they've got all these ideas about the you know the new culture and so you've got steve Englehart doing um his watergate captain america comics and you've got jim starlin doing um very existential like, cosmic like warlock and all those sort of yeah, captain really marvel kind of and warlock characters uh-huh. um and you've got you've got steve gerber just doing i don't even know how to how to describe it <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's funny because I mean, you know, like as someone who you know grew up a long time after that era, I, the real revelation here in the book is, is Steve Gerber. I mean, like his Howard the Duck comics just sound on paper so interesting, and I mean, so yeah, completely. I mean, not to say just so far evolved along from where you know Marvel comics had been even ten, fifteen years earlier. And what 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 I like about it too is that it seems like a lot of these guys were kind of allowed to do this because you know there were the kind of bigger characters who were sort of maybe paying the rent for Marvel, so to speak, right? So so they were kind of given, you know, go do whatever you want to with, with Warlock, more or less. Right, this wasn't creeping into Spider-Man and, and, and the Fantastic Four quite as much, although there are some some weird outliers in, in those series from that time as well. Um, this, this was, you know, characters like the Defenders, um, which was this bizarre hodge, hodgepodge of um, kind of B-list characters. Um, I don't know, Jeff. Were were you a Steve Gerber Defenders reader? Um, I was definitely a Steve Gerber fan. I mean, I loved um, Omega the Unknown, Howard the Duck. Um, I just remember these really kind of trippy comics that, um, you know, I was I was reading some of these things, not all of these things religiously when I when when I was coming of age in the 70s. So like I'm seven years old in 1977, and I'm reading some of this stuff, and I'm keenly aware that that th- there's something going on that's a little bit over my head. <laughs> the, the equivalent of being sort of maybe seven today and watching like the Simpsons at its most irreverent. Um, right. You know, so, so you, there, there's something going on. And for me, that really kind of starts this sort of like um, this creative like dialogue or the creative energy in, in, in a lot of comics that definitely, you know, reaches, you know, takes major leaps forward in the 80s, where you kind of feel like instead of like comics being written at your age level, they're always just a little ahead of you. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're catching up and you're growing into them. And it, and, and it starts this interesting phenomenon, I think, that, that, that ultimately caused a problem for comics, which is 
um, that, that, that Conks became uh, a more of an older play, uh, um, and, 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 and kids kind of like lost touch with comics. Well, and, and that's one other thing that uh, I want to get into, Sean, because, uh, it, you know, to me, th- th- your book is almost split in half in some ways, because the first half is this real sort of like creative biography, and, you know, you kind of see all these characters being made. The back half, there's a lot of lawsuits, and it, 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 it sort of yeah. becomes almost more of a really interesting business thriller. And speaking as someone who, when I was first getting into comics, that was, you know, the same year that, like, they were killing off Superman, and every single comic book cover had to have a chrome hologram special 399 cover. It's interesting kind of getting the background on that, because I think that, you know, part of what's interesting is, as you kind of, you know, show Marvel going into the 90s, there's just this incredible instant expansion, and every comic book just seems to go way downhill creatively as a result. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I hit that age... Uh, which uh, this happens to a lot of people, but I I kind of hit that age where you you put a little distance between yourself and comics at at kind of exactly the the time that all that was going on, and so I didn't I I, I kind of find found like a, the bomb shelter of of girls and rock music <laughs> right in time for for the um, the foil covers, um, and so to go back and look at those I, I mean I kind of kept an eye on them at the time, I guess. But uh, to You were you were collecting every issue of the clone saga in <laughs> Spider Man is, is what you're saying. Well believe me, I, I'm not sure you missed anything. That was man. I mean that was one of the things that was was hard for me to, to know in writing this book, to know how much you know nostalgia has certainly colored uh, my perceptions of, of some of the stuff in the nineteen eighties. And and it was hard I didn't want to be too hard on this stuff within in the 1990s, just because I didn't have that, you know, that long time connection. Um, so I, I will never know what it was like, you know, to read um, like Rob Liefeld's um, New Mutants or or X Factor. I'm sorry, X Force uh, as as like a kid. Well, yeah. there are, there are just some pleasures in life that maybe <laughs> maybe you're best left uh, denied, man. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting about that, Sean, because. I mean, before before we started the podcast, we were we were talking about um, this essay that that you have found that you've posted on your your really wonderful Tumblr site. What, and it, maybe give that URL now if you can. Oh, sure. It's it's just a uh, seanhow.tumblr.com. And it's this really cool site if you're a comic book geek because what what you're doing, I think, is that you're posting all of these little bits and and and, and pieces of research that. Um, that probably informed your book, but also just kind of really excites you as a comic fan. This this wonderful comic book archaeology that you're doing, and um, and and you find this essay that Alan Moore, no less than Alan Moore, wrote at, in 1983, um, kind of before he really becomes the Alan Moore that that we know that um, rocks, you know, uh, mainstream comics with Watchmen and. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and Swamp Thing here in the States. But he writes this essay, uh, which he called a, quote, affectionate character assassination of, of Stan Lee. And, and you know, it, it's interesting for, for, for many reasons, including the fact that he, he seemed to have a pretty low opinion of the state of comic book writing in the 70s, which is kind of weird to read, given how much of our references are our are, 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 are mid-70s, late-70s comics, and that right. and in many ways we found so, so much of that exciting. But he also kind of, but 
regardless of what you, if you believe with that assertion, he, he makes this interesting claim that ends up becoming kind of prophetic for him and, and, and for the guys who came of age in the 80s, which is that he, he makes this statement, uh, he, he notes, and I, and I don't have my computer with me, so I can't quote from the essay, but he talks about how success can sometimes be the worst thing that happens to this comic book medium because the leading examples of creativity that capture our imagination don't inspire more creativity and more risk-taking. They just end up um, inspiring copycat comics. Uh, he, he talks about like Mad Magazine being this great example where Mad has this great groundbreaking impact, and all of a sudden you see all of this spate of humor magazines that have kind of like named after some kind of, you know, uh, slang for mental illness like that. <laughs> um, but, you know, then, but, but it's just this wonderful observation that Alan Moore makes. And then, uh, and, and, and then he turns around and, and, and introduces this whole new style of comics that, that are, are kind of edgy, um, that, that instead of kind of inspiring the industry to kind of take more creative chances, we get this 90s era of grim and gritty, which is a long way to say that that's why I don't read Rob Liefeld comics either. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's great, too. I mean, like, uh, if I can just, if, if, if you'll indulge me, I, I want to quote directly. There's one kind of great little piece in here where uh, Todd McFarlane, who was, you know, one of, one of Rob Liefeld's, uh, you know, Contemporaries, one of the guys who also founded Image Comics. He has this great line where he says, you know, like uh, he's sort of being asked about, you know, what's what's your style? I mean, like, you know, how do you go about like crafting comic books? And McFarlane just says, as long as I get Spider-Man in the right pose and I've got a cool shot of him coming at you in the splash page, it's not important what's behind him. And it's just kind of like, ugh, like this is th this explains Spawn in its entirety. <laughs> just just beautiful, beautifully, beautifully illustrated nothingness. <laughs> very sober point you know like you know uh like i'm kind of cynical about 90s comics kind of uh needlessly and i, I really don't want to throw rob or todd under the bus here or speak ill of them because um you know they're cool guys in their own right and i've actually met rob before and i feel bad now for kind of saying something bad about him but um but <laughs> uh, i'm sorry about this but at the same time <laughs> I, I, I really resonate with sean what, what, what he's saying which is that like uh, like it, it's funny where the, the the comic book fandom narrative begins with each individual fan, you know. Like it, it was funny hearing Sean you, you talk about how your X Men fandom began with Chris Claremont and Paul Smith, right? And I'm like, my my that conversation for me begins with Claremont and Cockrum and Byrne, you know, right? Um, um, and 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 how my that entry point completely affects how I, I perceive the history of comics. Whereas if you're a kid like who's discovering comics with the birth of the image you know, era and, and that kind of big boom of Lee McFarlane and Liefeld starting a whole new company, I mean, that was, for, for kids of that era, a really exciting time in comics. Um, and, and, and certainly one of the last times we saw like a legitimate like, you know, uh, a company, like, come on the scene and try to actually challenge Marvel and DC at what they were doing. Right. Actually, I mean, not to put Darren on the spot, but I'd be, I'd be curious, I mean, you, you read those comics. There was something that, that sang to you about... Yeah, I mean, I mean, speaking as one of those children of the '90s that you're talking about, Jeff. Like, I, I, as someone who was collecting a ton of comics growing up, like, 
it's it's very hard to go back now and reread the comics that I was reading in the early '90s because I I think that without necessarily saying that they were bad, I think they were very much based almost entirely on a very over the top visual style that I, I would sort of compare roughly to Michael Bay's visual style in a sense. I mean, like I think that when I was a six to nine year old kid reading that stuff, there was a certain just kind of instant appeal. But it, it's interesting that. And you know, and again, uh, I, I I shouldn't say this about all image comics people because I think Eric Larson, for instance, has always been really interesting, and his sort of work on Savage Dragon I think shows a lot of diverse interests. I was just home again, kind of paging through my, my, my comic book collection, and it is very difficult to read any Rob Liefeld illustrated uh, comic book now. But what, what what I love is that um, you know part of. Uh, another sort of like really interesting p- uh, part of the book shot is when you talk about their sort of return to Marvel after they left Image Comics, when yeah. they were sort of allowed to relaunch. I think it was Captain America, Avengers, Fantastic Four, and one other major character. And I remember that happening, and it, it was just crazy because all of a sudden, like all the Avengers have gigantic biceps where their arms used to be, and right. and, and they they oddly have biceps on, on their feet too. I mean, it's it was a very strange sort of comic book era, I, I think. And so I guess that's a roundabout way of saying that Jeff, like the children who grew up reading those comics, years of therapy. That's that's the sort of end result. <laughs> um, but- hey, hey, Sean, Sean, I'd be curious to know, like, like who did you speak to for your book and what, what conversations um, meant the most to you as, as a fan, but also someone, you know, as essentially like a journalist academic who's trying to like, learn more about, you know, your pop culture past and, and this whole medium, but what conversations meant the most to you? Boy, it's, I mean, I, I, I spoke to, to 100, 150 people for this. Um, it's hard to, to, to whittle it down, but, um, I, I, you know, talking to Jim Shooter was, was pretty memorable. Um, he was, uh, you know, the editor-in-chief from, of, of Marvel Comics from 78 to 87, and He's sort of he's sort of legendary, and he's a very polarizing figure amongst comic circles. Um, and he was he you know just sitting down and him talking about his relationship with his dad was was it was it was striking because he's he's someone who's six foot seven and he's intimidated a lot of people whether you know I, I, I think just by dint of his his size and his booming voice um, I think he I think he in, intimidates people whether he means to or not um, you know and and hearing him talk about um, you know putting putting food on the table as a as a 14 year old kid he was he was writing um, he's writing Superman comics for for Mort Weisinger at DC um, he you know he's one of those people who's just had a tremendous uh, life and 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 it's been informed by comic books all the way all the way through and mm. um you know, it's it's it, obviously talking to Stan Lee means something something else, and you know, it's it, that's like talking to like your uncle that you haven't seen in like a long time. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's there's there's something there's something just about his his voice when he's talking to you that's kind of resonating in in a very um, a, a very about to quote like uh, Axl Rose here, but uh, please it's, do. <laughs> it's it's it, it it takes you to that that faraway place. I'll just I'll just say. Uh, did, did you uh, did you go looking for Ditko? I I yes, um, and in fact I I posted uh, early on when I was doing the the Tumblr page. I posted my postcard from from Ditko, which I 
which I trumpeted as my exclusive correspondence. <laughs> uh, and, and although I don't have it in front of me, I can quote from it in full. Which is okay. Well, please do. Which is which is. Uh, By the way, this is a PG thirteen rated podcast. Just just so you know. <laughs> Sean, no, I'm not available to speak to you for your writing project. Regard, singular, SD. <laughs> Regard. I'm going to start using that as my sign off whenever I'm emailing with with Jeff. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing that I, I wanted to ask you, Sean, uh, is, is just sort of like, you know, looking at where Marvel is now. I mean, it sort of seems like one of the real kind of subplots of the book is seeing how it sort of goes from being a group of guys working in some corner of the magazine management group building into, you know, w- what it is now. And it's, you know, it's it's certainly, I think it's fair to say, with, with Avengers now the, the third highest grossing movie in history, it's in a very different place. What's your kind of perspective on modern day Marvel? I mean, I mean, do you think that they are like, I mean, certainly it's fair to say they're healthier now as a company than they were right. you know, 20 years ago in, in, in the midst of the bust. But um, as, as far as, you know, the, you know, creatively, what's what's your perspective on them? Yeah, I, th- I think they I think they do a lot of a lot of great work um, that unfortunately is is probably not reaching um, people it should reach. Um, as Jeff was sort of alluding to um, the, you know, the median age of, of a Marvel Comics reader is something like 30. It might even be higher now. Um, and, and so they're, they're kind of, some of their stuff preaches to the choir a little bit more than you would, than you would hope. Um, there's also, I mean, I mean, the level of craft is really, really impressive in, in a lot yeah. of the stuff that comes out now. But there is also, um, you know, in part due to companies like Image, there's a little bit less of an incentive for someone to lay it all on the line for Marvel Comics. For someone to give their best ideas, um, sure, you should have like more more people who like do a lot of creator own stuff, and then they can right. come into Marvel almost more in a sort of like you know mercenary capacity in a way. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, and maybe mercenary is uh, there's there are slightly um, kind, kinder ways of putting it, right, but, right, I, right, but yeah. I think that's I, I think that can also uh, apply. I, I mean, it, you know, it's it's funny Marvel has their own creator. Creator-owned imprint called Icon, um, which I don't think they do any marketing for at all. Um, but you, so you've got people like Matt Fraction doing Casanova, um, and then he he's also while he's also doing Iron Man or Fantastic Four, um, and and you have you know you have to wonder like w- where does he decide what to keep for himself? And um, I'm I'm actually doing a uh, doing an event with Matt Fraction in a couple of weeks. I will probably. Here, <laughs> reaction, <laughs> reaction to me saying this. <laughs> Matt Fraction, fantastic man, fantastic author. <laughs> it's interesting because I think what you're seeing right now is at both of the companies, um, uh, for better or worse, I, I don't really want to judge this, but it seems to be sort of really creatively managed from the top down where you almost have you know, the editors in charge functioning as these big picture showrunners. Um, that are kind of sketching a vision and and, and create direction for all the books and the writers kind of kind of fall in line and execute against that certainly contribute to it i mean at marvel we see a team of writers kind of forming a brain trust to help shepherd that 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 whole line but at at both companies it's i I think what you're kind of pointing to sean is, is really interesting where like in, in years past, you know, if you were growing up as a creator or an aspiring writer, you would want to go to those companies and hopefully they'll do your story or your original project. Right. That's how the medium will grow. But 
but but um, but 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 now what you're seeing is that that these these, these companies really functioning in a way as they've always kind of functioned, which is these sort of like, you know, big soap operas um, and, and these sort of like narrowly, you know, this, this, these, these creative sandboxes. Um, and, 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 and the creator is a very, very talented guy, and I, and I really agree with what you said. I think that um, we're, we see so many kind of like top-notch people playing in this field right now, but they're kind of really hemmed in by – the creative vision uh, that that's being given them top down, and now I think I, I'm I'm beginning to hear and see a lot of those guys now now leaving the mainstream companies and going to places like like um like Image, which is kind of reinventing itself again a, a new and really exciting ways um, as sort of a place to go with if, if you're a creator to do creator owned stuff. Um, but but I, I'm getting the sense that there's some frustration now with, with with the guys who've been sort of ruling the roost in mainstream comics for a while, and now wanting to get out, and kind of do their own stuff. This might open up some opportunities for new people to come in, or or I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, once once um, you know now that Ed Brubaker is leaving Marvel, we may hear a little bit more candidly about just how you know how much Marvel. Uh, Marvel's story structures are ruled by committee, and how much of it is, you know, just sort of generated from one artist's id. Um, but, but you know, I, I get the sense that it's a is a pleasant place to work. If you know, yeah. you've got a, you know, people are going in there with their eyes a little wider. Uh, they're a little more pragmatic than than they were in the days of Steve Englehart and Steve Gerber, um, necessarily so. Um, but you know, you mentioned uh, showrunners, which which I you know I'm talking to a guy who's thought about Lost a lot, <laughs> um, and and I and I, I th- who who Jeff on Lost? <laughs> what? I think, no, I think it's interesting, you know, to 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 see where the roots of a lot of you know serialized television. Um, I I I think that that Marvel Comics is responsible in, in some large way for. Um, for the the way that this the soap opera model has has really permeated pop culture. Oh yeah, I, I, totally. And and uh, to to see kind of like uh, we we've talked about this in the past, but today's you know uh, TV and and uh, TV showrunners that you know the, like the guys who ran Lost or or, or Joss Whedon and 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 hearing them talk about. Um, how much the 80s era of comics kind of really kind of inspired were, were huge creative touchstones for them. But just in general, how the serial, serialized storytelling of comics that they were raised on kind of, kind of really influenced uh, um, uh, what they do now or their desire to do serialized storytelling. It just, again, kind of to harp on a theme that we've talked about here before, how just influential like the, the comic period of like the 70s and 80s um, has on today's pop culture, not just in terms of the movies that we see Hollywood make, um, but just the storytelling sensibilities of, 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 of geeks who were raised during that time. Right, and I, I, think, I think that, um, you know, I, I sometimes get a little frustrated because people who, who weren't comic book fans, um, they, I, I sometimes get the sense that p- people think oh i've seen the avengers movie and i've seen um i've seen iron man uh, now i understand like what you you kind of geeky kids were into but it's not just about these trademarked characters it's 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 really it's about what went into them and and the art form and as as you said it the the 
the way that the stories were structured. It's about you know so much more than just the characters. Right. Well, and like I, I think also, I mean, uh, you know, Jeff and I on this podcast, we've we've talked a lot about the Marvel movies. Uh, you know, it, it's hard not to at, at this point if, if if you're any kind of a of a comic book geek. But I think that there's also this strange sense that I get where. In some of the movies, not in all of them, there's this sort of sense the characters have been sanded down a little bit, or, or even just that, you know, like a lot of the things that made them sort of interesting and eccentric don't necessarily get translated. And part of that is completely understandable. And besides the fact they're making it for a massive global audience, it's, it's, it's just a two-hour movie. And, you know, even with a $200 million budget, that, that doesn't compare to, you know, the visionary things you could create in a Silver Surfer comic book or something. I mean, I feel like a, a single Jack Kirby panel might, might run you $50 million at this point. But it, it's interesting that I, I, I do sort of, uh, I mean, as someone who's now done so much research into, uh, you know, the, the backstory on these Marvel comics, what's your kind of perception of, of the Marvel movies, Sean? I mean, have you, have you liked them a lot? Are, are you intrigued by this notion of just creating a huge cinematic linked universe? Yeah, well, I, I find that to be fascinating uh, on, you know, several levels, including just you know, in terms of a business model. Um, but, you know, it's, it's funny because when people ask me my opinion about the movies, like, and they sort of ask me, like, oh, as, as kind of like a comic book expert, you know, I, I mean, I really, it's, it's just sort of, I have just certain, you know, movie-watching sensibilities um, so that, you know, I didn't, I didn't love the Avengers movie. Um, and, but, I, but I, I don't, it's not necessarily because, like, I know a lot about Marvel comics that, that I yeah, that you're I not just like some it. like some angry nerd who's like, how how come Shang Chi wasn't in that movie? Yeah, I mean, like you're 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 allowed to be to, right. to be a fan of movies and a fan of I comic books. <laughs> which, which is to say, I mean, I, I thought the Avengers was was not a bad movie. It's uh, it's just to say that I, I I don't want I don't want to sound like I'm trying to confer some sort of expert opinion on on you know the movies that they've made. That said, uh, I really was surprised by how much I enjoyed the Captain America movie, mm-hmm. which felt. Which was very reminiscent to me of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, and and do you think too? I mean, like something about that movie that uh, I, I think really resonated for me is that I think they really chose a very interesting, specific style to, to make it in, and just like, like something about you know certainly like it, it, it almost felt like you know I, I now kind of retroactively understood what Joe Johnston was trying to do with the Rocketeer when it is this really sort yeah. of recalling that sort of yeah and very Raiders of the Lost Ark that very kind of you know the the old movie serials of, of the forties. It, it almost seems like it's. it's it's a similar problem in comics and in movies. It's not just the characters, as you were saying. It's also, you know, do you tell the story in a way that's really interesting and evocative? Or, you know, like a lot of the Spider-Man comics when I were growing up were very much just Spider-Man meets X-Villain, does X thing. Right. There, there wasn't really any sort of sensibility behind it at all besides let's throw the super people together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I, you know, I liked uh, X Men First Class. I, I, I started out really thinking, oh my God, I'm, this is going to be like, um, you know, the the, uh, I was going to say the Avengers, but the Emma Peel Avengers. You know, like, like this is going to be, uh, this is going to be like Mad Men, but with like superpowers. Mm-hmm. Like, this is this is going to be just some great. Um, Modernist architecture and cool clothes, <laughs> and I'm just. And then it started becoming a superhero movie, and I got a little disappointed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, yeah, like, like that movie. Like you, you really are primed for for almost for it to be almost sort of more of a James Bond movie than uh, than the superhero movie that it kind of ultimately became. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 
Um, which not, I guess like my uh, kind of last question for you, we, we have to kind of uh, wrap this up a little bit, is um, just for you in, in going back through Marvel history, you know, you've talked a lot about, you know, what you were sort of interested in initially. Was there, were there any like discoveries that you made or, or any kind of like, you know, unexpected kind of comic books that you really kind of wound up liking as, a, as part of this project? Yeah, I mean, well, there were, there were a ton of, of comic books that I hadn't really been, uh, you know, Shang-Chi you mentioned is actually a character that I'd always just sort of looked at with, with just benign disinterest, I guess. <laughs> uh, those, those comics are, are really good spy thrillers. Like those are a lot of fun. Um, if anyone listening to this would like to read them, you will have to go to the dollar bins at your comic book store because they've never been reprinted as far as I know. Um, but in terms of also just like discovering things, I, you know, finding out that Stan Lee was a little bit disillusioned with the comic industry starting, I, I mean, he had s- some struggles in the 50s, but but even after Marvel's success of the 60s, he, uh, he was starting to think about ways to get out by 1969, 1970. And he was, uh, he was, he was not only saying in public to people, you know, this is a bad setup because you don't own your ideas, but also looking at taking Jack Kirby with him to go out to Hollywood. Uh, that, to me, changes a lot about the Stanley Jack Kirby story. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and certainly, you know, like like we did, we did reference this. We did kind of reference this, this earlier. There is that kind of ongoing controversy, and I think that you know, towards the end of his life, Jack Kirby was being very explicit. I, I think he very often said that he sort of felt as if he'd created the characters wholesale. I mean, what comes across in the book, I think, more than anything else, is that it was a very complicated creative relationship. I mean, I, I think that certainly Jack Kirby cre- crafted just the, the the visual and just the, the, this incredible kind of backdrop and everything but it, it it does seem difficult to say stan lee did nothing you know like, like that's the, the, that's sort of what, what i came away thinking <laughs> yeah i th- i think that um i i i do sometimes just have the feeling that if if these if you think of these as films you know that jack kirby was essentially the director um but what that might sound like it's taking away from stan lee um you know, should be balanced with uh, Stan Lee was a brilliant editor and an art director and a spokesperson and a writer of dialogue and also a creative collaborator in, in storytelling, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, there's there's plenty of room for credit for both guys. Mm-hmm. That was, that was a, v- a very careful response, Sean. That, that, that's good. You're, you're, you're ready for all the fanboys out there who have real serious opinions about this. I, I, I can tell. I'm not sure that answer will will please everyone, but <laughs> you know, I, I, I could actually I could actually already already sense controversy boiling as I was saying. <laughs> uh, well, Sean, uh, thanks so much for coming in today, man. Marvel Comics: The Untold Story. It's hitting bookstores on October 9th. Um, it, b- bookstores, correct? Will will bookstores will it be on eBooks anywhere or uh, iTunes Store or anything like that? I, I don't know about I don't know about iTunes, but but uh, if if you uh, if you do a little googling, you'll you'll be able to. All find right, well, it. I'll, I'll call up Tim Cook. We'll see if we can get that set up. Okay. okay? All right, Sean. Thanks very much, man. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Sean. That wraps up this episode of Entertainment Geekly. Join us next week when I'll be joined by special guest star EW's Adam B. Very. We'll be talking about the movie Looper. We've both seen it. We have real big opinions to share with you. Thanks very much, everyone.